the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right, we are in the house. Thank you for joining us, folks. This is Soapy Dollar. I don't know what happened. I just went dead when you touched the ball. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll have to tell... We'll have to tell John when well, he gets I'm back totally in here. Dead right now, when he, you touch that button, I'm sorry. When you touch the button, I went dead. I didn't touch a button. I turned up the um, the All microphones. Right. But uh, we are on the air. We are greeting you. Thanks for being with us, folks. Uh, Jacob is here in the studio with me. You can't hear him, evidently, or I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can hear you or if it's just your your headphones. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Okay. Well, then we'll find out. See John if I'm has. Talking over there. Am I talking over there? I don't think so. See, I'm not showing. I'm not showing up. See. All right. Let's try that. Now am I talking? There I am. All right. Now. Okay. You're up. I'm up. Let's see if we can. Uh... I sound kind of funny. I, I think you're. Um... I'm coming through your microphone is what I think was happening. But anyway, folks, don't don't worry about any of this uh, in-house stuff. Don't be distracted by this uh, uh, <laughs> us talking. John's going to take care of it, and we can get on the air. This is the Bible Live. This is Soapy. Jacob is on the other microphone. Jacob is on the microphone, and we will begin discussing our passage of Scripture that we read this past week comes from uh, the book of Exodus. We we moved from Genesis early on in November. We read the entire book of Genesis. We're now in Exodus. We'll move on. Uh, we, actually, we got into the book of Leviticus just barely, just the first chapter, verse, 17 verses of the book of Leviticus in our, readings, um, our reading schedule this past week. And so tonight we'll be talking, picking up at Exodus chapter 26 through 40, and kind of finishing out that great book of the people exodus means they're exiting they're coming out of israel i mean out of egypt where um they have been for over 400 years uh, we talked about how joseph led the way he was uh sold into slavery down in egypt potiphar and his wife went to prison got out of prison the ups and downs and the fortunes of this young man named joseph and then how his brothers came down into Egypt to escape a famine uh, all across, evidently, that part of the world. And then ultimately, um, 
Jacob brought his entire family, all of his uh, sons and their family and, and so on, and, and their herds and their sheep and so on, brought them into Egypt. They were guests of honor. And then a, another Pharaoh came into power, and they became a nation of slaves uh, over many hundreds of years, several hundreds of years at least, three to four hundred years that they were there. And then Moses was raised up, this amazing individual Moses who was born uh, a, a, a Jewish man. Uh, they were, there was a plan by the Pharaohs to kill the children of, of Israel, the, the male children. Moses escaped that slaughter and was placed in a basket in the river, in the Nile River. The daughter of the Pharaoh found him, brought him into the into the uh, palace. He was raised the first 40 years of his life there in the palace of, of uh, Egypt. And then he left. He stood up and identified himself with the people of Israel, had to flee for his life out into the desert, the Sinai Desert. He then was there for 40 years uh, being a shepherd. Uh, marrying, having children, but then he went to Mount Sinai in his wanderings and with his sheep, the burning bush, God appeared to him and called him to return to Egypt and to be the, his mm, his ambassador, his uh, spokesman to Pharaoh to demand that he let God's people go. Uh, Pharaoh, of course, resisted, and we know the story of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues that were released on Egypt. Uh, we've discussed all of this in our in our last Sunday's program, and then the people of Israel come out. Uh, I think we pick up uh, this week. We've we, they've they've left. They've come out of Egypt. We read the uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, Exodus chapter twenty. And then we saw how a little nation building going on. God is beginning now with the people of Israel and with those many other. This wasn't an ethnic thing. Uh, there were other people groups, other nation, national groups represented in those that came out of Egypt. And they all then, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai, God begins to mold them and shape them and form them into uh, the people of God, into this this nation that he is going to use, that he has covenanted with, to bring them back into the promised land, the land of Canaan, that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then also preparing them, preparing them as a people group to dwell in that land and to be uh, the people of God. And finally to work with them and through them to bring through through the people of Israel the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, that would be the method, the means by which God brings all men and women of faith, those who love him and desire him and and want uh, and want to be the people of God God by the by the work of the Messiah the redemptive work of the Messiah God brings us and allows us to be reconciled to him satisfying both his justice and his love expressing his love through the work of Messiah which we'll be getting into in just a couple of weeks as well because we'll be finishing up the book of Leviticus uh, after you know this coming week we'll finish up the entire book of Levit- Leviticus and in just in time for the Christmas holiday the season we'll be turning to the the gospel of Matthew the first book of the New Testament and uh, that will be on our reading schedule to read about the birth of Jesus of Nazareth uh, the one who claimed to be uh, and demonstrated that he was indeed that that Messiah, that long-awaited, promised 
redeemer that God would send into the world. So we'll we'll lock it all together and continue right on through uh, these these uh, scriptures this week, coming week, and and all right through the Christmas season. Okay, I hope I've given a little bit of a run over of where we've been and what we're doing. We're we're we've gotten to chapter twenty six in the book of Exodus in terms of our review of the scriptures. Uh, and we're going to go tonight into the book of Leviticus, which I want to. Uh, I want. I have a couple of questions I wanted to talk to you about, Jacob, in in, in relationship to that. But um, to, uh, why don't I quit talking here? And give you a moment. I'd like to get your thoughts as we look at the book of Exodus. Uh, we're coming now to the. They've come out of Egypt. Uh, the Ten Commandments have been given. Now, a, now Moses is. Expanding on those ten, and he's kind of going through further rules and directions and, and laws and statutes that God would have for them as a people, as a people group. Uh, what is what is the significance of these uh, of these chapters? Now, in other words, we've moved from we've moved. From, we got to fill something up to the end of Exodus. We've moved. <laughs> yeah, right. we moved through storytelling about. People involved, uh, 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 Moses and the story of his life and, and escaping from Egypt and the and the chariots being covered and destroyed in the Red Sea yeah, and so all, on. All that business. These okay, stories. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting into long sections of instructions. Well. Rules. Do long, this. Don't do that. I and so say on. some people would say it's long, tedious, boring. All these things about construction stuff, like an architect perhaps. Yes. And why? That's my question. Because you are looking at the mankind reconstructing the world. Uh-huh. So we're getting a little taste of all, perhaps, the consideration of the detail that God had to do when he spoke it into being. Well, the ten plagues undid all that. So now they're reconstructing a church, a tabernacle, a synagogue. They really are supposed to be symbolic, a microcosm, if you will, of the world. If you build a building and it's not about God, what you've got is a building. You are reconstructing. And so there are like ten sections of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so they are going through all this because they're wanting you to understand what was destroyed. So you've got to rebuild it. And if you look at the tabernacle, starting at the outside, you will start and look at the first chapters of Genesis you will see exactly the same order of what's created. There's water. There's other things. There's, it's going right down there. And what's the last thing? God rested, of course, in Genesis on the... Uh, uh, Sixth day. Six, well, yeah, seven, the seventh seven day, day we're yes, talking. So. Uh-huh. Uh, well, so what that would be, may we say, something like in heaven. So the last thing as you move through the construction of the tabernacle, the very last thing you're getting up there to is the curtain, mm-hmm. the parakot. So what happens is... Are you talking about the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy? I am. Is that the one? Okay. Yes. Now, and that's very, very, very thick. And it's got designs on it, believe it or not. Stars, planets, mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So, but behind that... That represents, you might say, heaven. 
And behind that is where God dwells. So you're starting way back at the beginning where just like in Genesis where there's water and you're moving inward until you get to, you might say, heaven. And then beyond the heaven is where God is. In, so you're creating a little microcosm, man-created. In Hebrew, it's called tikkun olam. Recreate the world. Repair the world that was destroyed by our actions. It's your job to repair it. So, you, you actually, if you look at the tabernacle and start considering it, oh, man, this is, I'm looking at the construction of Genesis. But this is the human aspect of what you're supposed to be doing. Isn't that fascinating? It is. I, that's, so the gateway to that, that is fascinating if, if you approach. Now, we're talking about uh, Exodus chapter 26, folks, where the, it talks about the, my, the paragraph heading says, Plans for the Tabernacle. Uh, make the tabernacle from with tin curtains of finely woven linen. Decorate the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And, so, and, and you get into this, you get into this description of this worship center that is being designed and is going to be you know created that is going to be sort of a portable worship center that travels along with the people of Israel when they leave Sinai they're going to make that journey up to the promised land to Canaan and as they travel this this tabernacle it, which is a rather in some ways a very in some ways at least a very unimpressive little construct well, it's so, a very so small is the earth the huh? earth is very unimpressive the earth yes the Ooh. whole construction is very unimpressive if the tabernacle is unimpressive then i must say the earth is unimpressive. no i'm only meaning in the sense of it's 50 yards long and 25 yards what across a fourth of a football at, field well yeah but you're looking at the world and it's not unimpressive this little tabernacle is very important. Thank you. And maybe you can help us to come to that understanding. But for the moment, it looks like in a, in a, it's sitting in the middle of a, of a, a community of right. two million right. plus people. Two, it, two and a half million. Two and a half yeah. million people. Yeah. It's, it's a tiny little construct. And what, it is. In fact, what we're talking about, the, the, uh, the, the tent itself the small little tent yeah, is yeah. very is even much smaller. What's it? Thirty feet by thirty yeah, feet or something like that. Small, sure. uh, you, you've got a ga- uh, You have a fence right. around it that's uh, fifty yards by 20, 25 yards across, fifty yards long, a fourth of a football field. And if you think of that sitting in the middle of a population group, uh, two two and a half million people, that's it's a tiny little thing. It is tiny. And uh, in some ways, I mean. Yes, it's it's interesting in its construct, the designs, the the cloth, the linen cloth, and the designs, and so on. Is put, on. but what you just said fascinates me in that a, a a it is a picture of our world, and and let's let's just take it on that basis. So when you walk up to when you walk up to the end of the tabernacle, you, there's a gate right on the east end. I think. It, I'm not sure what it's east or west, but let's just say that at one end, there's an op- uh, a gate that opens. And then right there, the first thing you run into is, is it the brazen altar or, or the, the water? The water the, uh, You're looking at the, the steps of Genesis. Yeah. In other words, you remember uh, Jesus in the book of Matthew, he said, pray like this, our Father art in heaven. Let mm-hmm. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's the idea. So what's happening is that we're supposed to make this world 
obey God's laws, make earth be like heaven, but it's man's job to do that. So since we destroyed this, all mankind did, especially with the ten plagues, etc., so we have to recreate it. And so it starts off very small. Okay. I'm getting another idea, though, and I want to tell you about it and see what you think. The first thing, okay, you come to this, and you say water, really it's just a place for people to wash their hands. It's a laver of water. It's a laver, and that's where the priests wash their hands, right? But then after they come to the laver, what, what is there? Well, they go down through the entire sequence, and if you're looking at the symbolic things uh-huh. that are in there, they go all the way back to the curtain. You will go back, and then you'll find, like, for example, you'll find one spot becomes the menorah. Okay, but let's let's take it step by step. You got the water. Yeah. That's where the priests wash their hands. What's the next thing you run into? Well, let me turn to a picture here. It's I didn't the, expect you to talk about that. I didn't prepare for that. It's the author, right? The uh, The altar. There, I think the first one is an altar, yes. Yes, and that's – which is interesting to me because to enter into God's presence, to be uh, – to this first step of this process of renewing the world and so on, yeah. is first there's a work of atonement. There's, an, there's a work of forgiveness, right? Uh, I don't know. Where a lamb you, was you better, slain. You better elaborate on that I I'm don't talking know. about the altar. Why the altar? It, it, why is the altar there? Uh, to begin the sacrifices, and what were the ba- what were the purpose of the sacrifices? The, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, the okay. animals, and the, the things that were sacrificed. Wasn't the purpose of that atonement? Oh, I see what you're getting to. Cleansing, profession. I mean, there was sin was atoned and dealt with through, um, you know, symbolically here as the people came. Is that is that the idea? I think you could say that, yeah. I so that, I, I think that's fair. Okay, so a first step toward renewing the world is a work of atonement, a work of we must be forgiven, we okay. must be cleansed. All right. And then uh, after the atoning, uh, then you come to, you have the water, the cleansing of the priests who washing their hands, you have the sacrifice, uh, the atoning work of cleansing. And then if you're walking through the... Uh, through the, then you come to the 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 uh, tent itself, right? And the, in the opening of the tent, there, as you go into the tent, there's a table of showbread, and then there is uh, inside there is there that's the menorah, no, or is that back that, in that's the that's on the other side, the holy of holies, yes. Yeah. So in the holy place, you have the uh, show the table of showbread. Well, it's called in popular vernacular the showbread yes uh-huh. it's actually called the the face bread okay. but it's but showbread's okay cuz that's sure. what everybody uses okay and that food is there for the priests to sustain them and is they're doing their duties right. uh they're in the tabernacle right uh and, and then from there so what would that represent the showbread yeah well let's hmm. say it's bread the, the bread it's bread it's not crops it's not seed it's bread well, where did that bread come from? Okay. No, I'm asking no, you. No, I know you are, and I'm thinking about, okay, what does it symbolize? I know in a practical sense it's there to sustain the, the, the priest. My guess is it has something to do with spiritual nourishment, with God's Word, maybe. Well, back in Genesis. Think of Genesis. The Bible is often spoken of. Doesn't it create as the, something in Genesis that there's herb-bearing seeds and right? okay. all that kind of stuff? Uh-huh. So it's all created. Okay. But I have to know to take that seed. I have to plant it. 
The wisdom is the seed of God. Mm-hmm. The understanding is I'm planting it, I'm watering it, I'm growing it. But then after it grows, i got to take it. All I've got is wheat mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I have to know how to work that into mm-hmm. bread. So it takes my wisdom, my understanding, my knowledge to take what God created to recreate the world. All right. That's one way to understand the symbolism, uh, symbolism of it. Uh, I, and, and it makes perfect sense when you take the, when you follow that model of recreating the world. It, it, it's a, a really beautiful picture. Uh, the other thing would be a spirit, a nourishment. Uh, you know, the Bible is spoken of as the the bread of life. Jesus said, "Man shall not live by bread by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." There's this the the, nour- the God's word to us. It might be a nice symbol for it as well. The showbread that nourishes us and strengthens us for God's service. Well, and if your then, body is dying of hunger, you're not going to be very spiritual. Remember when David uh, one time goes and gets, he is given uh, yes. a weapon from yeah. the tabernacle yeah. and uh, it, and they give him the bread uh-huh. from the the actual from the tabernacle as you know, well at one point as in his as, life. As much as we're kind of struggling with uh-huh. this, uh-huh. did you know that Moses struggled more no. Yes. Moses didn't understand this perhaps less than you and I, except God understood that Moses mm-hmm. wasn't getting, pardon me for saying this, mm. the picture. He wasn't getting the picture, huh? So, I, now this is not in our section tonight, but just here's an example. Okay. In chapter 25, verse 9, mm-hmm. it talks about showing something. God says, I'm going to show you something. Uh-huh. And he says, well, that's interesting. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so can I, so I can live among them. Oh, that's you nine? must build this tabernacle, and it's that's what I'm reading, 25, 8, and now 9 says, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Ah, now, actually, it's okay, show or show, have shown something. But when Moses on the mountain, Moses evidently wasn't getting the idea, and God said, look, let me show you. So... God kind of creates a picture for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Then in, uh, this is only three examples. In 2540, uh, look at 2540 again. Yeah. He says something. I'm going to show you something. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on, on the, mountain. the mountain. So Moses was having a tough time. Like we're sitting here saying, well, I don't get it. I don't uh-huh, get it. What's uh-huh. all this about? What's well, okay if we don't get it. Moses didn't seem to get it. God had to show him a picture. Mm-hmm. Then in twenty-five thirty, I'm sorry, twenty-six thirty. Okay, jump a chapter here into the new one. Uh-huh. He gives them some details about the tin curtains and uh-huh. the this and that and the other. But on you said verse thirty, right? I did. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on, on the, the mountain. mountain. Uh-huh. Now, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, mm-hmm. they this is referenced. It says, it, Moses was shown this. It says it in the New Testament, mm-hmm. the book of Hebrews. Well, they're referring to these passages, and there's a couple more also, but that's just three examples. So Moses wasn't getting it, perhaps like we're struggling it. So God was showing a picture and saying, look, this is a picture of what I want you to do. And so Moses was saying, oh, I get the picture. No, no pun intended. Well, this is helpful because it's probably the reason why a lot of people, I even had one of our, our listeners this past week uh, talking to me and said, you know, I, I get everything. I love Genesis and the storytelling and all that. But when we get into Exodus and Leviticus, he yeah, says, yeah, yeah. and we start talking about these details, they're rather tedious about about." 
the tabernacle and about all these rules for yeah. worship and yeah. for the yeah. and I have to admit I think there are a lot of there are a lot of believers even uh, people who know the Lord love the Lord and try to read God's word and script and they don't they don't get it so I'm glad you're going through this with us because we've got a couple of images we put together one is that God uh, the reconstruction of the world and I and I can see and follow the logic of what sure, you're saying sure you can. I can see the also the even in the design and the construct of the tabernacle, you can see the you can see a picture of the redemptive plan of God to to redeem, to recreate, to His plan. It has to do with first with the work of redemption and atonement, and then purifying and growing and so on. Uh, we get that. Uh, there are a couple of images we can follow, but uh, and so you're talking about the details. Tell, tell me about some of the details of of the tabernacle that uh, you mentioned the, the the bread. We've talked about the laver where the priests okay. wash their hands. The we talked about the, the altars. Ten lights. Ten lights. I'm, uh-huh. I'm sorry, seven. Uh-huh. Seven lights. Mm-hmm. How many days of creation were there? Seven. See, you're good at this. You just passed. You went to the graduate level. <laughs> okay. Now, so what you've got is you. But there's something I want to point out. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the order that this goes. Okay. Before the we're, we're talking about at this point, chapter twenty six and on. Uh-huh. But as you said at the beginning of the show, the ten commandments, actually the ten principles, mm-hmm. were given in chapter twenty. Angels, we have I can't believe. <laughs> we're starting our Christmas music. Thank you, John. Uh, that is the first segment. Is under the. Uh, Uh, is all done. We finished it. Why it went by so fast? We'll be back. We'll continue through the book of Exodus. We're going to talk again about this, this construct, this little tent called the tabernacle and its importance, not only for the people of Israel there, but for us today. How can it help us as God's people today? Let's get to it. We'll don't go away. You can give us a call if you'd like. 210-340-9585. 340-9585. We'll be right back. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Welcome back, folks. This is the Bible Live. We're right now. We're continuing to work our way right through the book of Exodus. We've we've got Moses and the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, and then we have uh, the the tabernacle is being built, the clothing for the priest, all these details, important details, and all of this is a is really a part of the process of God is is a 
rebuilding the nation. He, he covenanted with covenanted with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob uh, centuries before. To, they would be his people, that he would make of them a great nation, and that they would be a blessing through them to all the nations of the world. And so this is all a part of the expanding, ever-expanding plan of God, revealing himself to mankind and calling mankind to himself, but using this now, this people group, uh, preparing to use them as an instrument to help bring the message of redemption and restoration to the human race. And so it's it's a big theme, and I've been talking to Jacob about how a lot of us, as I would say, particularly those of us who are believers today here in the 21st century, and most of us have come out of the Gentile world, uh, and we don't really understand these passages that come from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew history, and so on. We don't understand them clearly as, as we maybe should or can, uh, we look at them through the light of the redemptive plan of God, through the light of the Messiah, through Christ as, as believers. We see the redemptive plan and all. But uh, Jacob is helping, has helped me a lot in understanding th- that the Hebrew perspective of this tabernacle, of, this, of the people of Israel, where they're headed. Now, they're going from Mount Sinai. The plan is to go on right up to the land of Canaan. So they've come. Uh, Israel, they, yeah. Israel, I'm sorry. They're coming out of <laughs> Egypt. I'm just picking at you. They've, they've been brought out of yeah. Egypt. To go into uh, the the promised land, so they're, they're, they've come out of Egypt now, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the 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 role now is to move into the promised land, and and they're being prepared to live as God's people through the tabernacle. And we know how God wants us to live because He gave us rules. Okay. Now these rules, I'm going to tell you something. You're familiar in the English that that says statutes, ordinances, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the Hebrew but it's hukim, uh, it's mishpatim. Those are the Hebrew words. Don't worry about that. But those are different things. Uh, the, there are the mishpatim, or what may be called the statutes, uh-huh. are the things that are rational, things we understand. For example, it's not a good idea to steal. It's not a good idea to give them an adultery. It's not a good idea to murder people. Those are things that are rational. Sure. So when it says in English, when you're reading it, put a meaning to it. It's not just being obsessively redundant. It's saying things like statutes. You understand the reason for these uh-huh. these ordinances. Things I may not get. Those are things that's called hukim, but that's the Hebrew. But it's like ordinances. In other words, why in the world would we do a red heifer? Other things we do not understand, but there were two types given. That's why in English they're trying to name them for you. Statutes, ordinances, they want you to understand. Some things you get, some things you don't. But this is still what God asks uh-huh. you to do. Can I ask, is that yeah. part of, uh, I, I, the way I'm hearing that, I'm thinking that in the laws, that the God's laws to, he gives to the people of sure. Israel, uh-huh. some of them are understandable, clear, do this, don't do that, don't right. steal, don't rob, don't murder. Uh, don't commit adultery, you know, that calls for sexual purity. And and some of them are clear and understandable, like you're right. saying. Yeah. Others of them might, uh, now, not all of these rules are necessarily moral, what would I say, or ethical in nature. Mm-hmm. Some of them have to do with identifying aspects of, of, these are going to be identifying qualities of you as my people. You're going to eat this and not this, and you're going to eat these. Right. There are certain rules that... We don't see them as particularly as moral, like don't murder or don't. 
But there, some of the rules are. The, I will go so far. Like I will saying, go so far with you to say I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh-huh. And in our vernacular and our way of looking at things today, mm-hmm. I have to agree with you. However, there's something I do want to point out. When people today are differentiating between moral and ethical, perhaps uh, uh, ritual, okay, that word ritual. There's no word for that. No, I understand that, yeah. But it does not appear in the Bible. Right. That's a modern precept. That's a construction in, from the Christian world to say, well, these don't matter. I can eat this. And yes, they can eat that because that's not a requirement for the non-Jew. For the Gentiles, yes. That's right. So they're free to do that. For the Jews, it was required that they do this. Why? Because God's made, as you said a few minutes ago, he's trying to make the point that, look, Everything must be holy. I have separated between you and the Mm. sinners, the Mm -hmm. Egyptians. And so I want you to be holy. So everything you eat, I have to have. I want it kosher. I want that separate. The other things, but that's okay. That's required for you. That's not required for others. When you say holy, that is the great, that is actually the theme for the book of Leviticus. As we move from Exodus and Leviticus, we yeah. we understand that the, the, the general theme of Leviticus mm-hmm. is holiness. God's wanting us to be set apart. Well, the book of Leviticus is, as the name seems to say, it's for the tribe of Levi. Mm-hmm. So that's for the priests. So the people that are bored and tedious by that, don't worry about it. Unless you're a priest, don't worry about it. That's their job. If I'm going to be a professional truck driver and i got to have a CDL, I'm going to have to learn that stuff. Uh-huh. But unless Commercial driver's license, CDL. By oh, right. that's right. You did so well on that. Thank Sophie. you. Um, but what I'm trying to say is... That okay, so you don't want to read it. It's some people. It's important to understand. It's actually the first book that little Jewish kids are taught to read because you think, oh man, this is tedious. This is crazy. What's this about? about but by, Exodus is it or Leviticus? Leviticus. Okay. So, uh-huh. but when you get back around to it, you say, man, this is simple. How come I have such a hard time with it? But uh, the idea is, is if you're going to be a, a priest, Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, that's something you're going to have to understand and do because that's your job. If you, uh, for example, if I'm going to be a brain surgeon, I'm not going to know how to be a brain surgeon, but I hope the guy that's doing it does. Mm-hmm. So this, these priests have to know them. So these are the rules for the priests. But it's good for you to know because at least you get a basic understanding of what they're doing, what they're required to do. This is their job, not yours. Well, in a way, I get it. But, of course, you, you just cited the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. I did. And there we're told, and clearly, that, that we are, and, and Peter talks about this as well in the, the epistles of Peter, that we are, as God's people now, the redeemed humanity. Um, as God, we are, as God's people, that's right. We are now a nation of priests. We, there is a priesthood of the believer. That we are called upon. I now think that's to a fair function. way of putting it. Is calling it, it a priesthood of the believer. Uh-huh. That's not the priesthood of the Levites. No, no, the Levites. No. So the Levites still have to do this. I see. So what I was going to say is that we are called upon now as as God's people, as believers, as followers after Jesus, the Messiah. That we should we should be uh, in a sense of representing God to men in the sense that we communicate God's nature and God's character. And God's redemptive plan to humanity, and we represent humanity to God. We pray for well, people. We intercede. Well, let me ask you something. This That's is, the role of a priest, right? This is right? what I, well, maybe. Represent God to human beings, and in 
represent humans to bring God? Uh, Did Moses I, I, pray for the people? Moses and, is not a priest. I, I know, but in his role, he, Aaron is the priest. He was a leader. Okay. Yeah. Aaron prayed for the people, right? He did, he did okay. pray, but he also did some other stuff. See, part of the deal is you also have to teach them God's laws. That's why I said you represent God but to see, them. But see, you also said something else I want to pick up on that we have really passed over for the last couple of weeks, uh-huh. and it's this. It is, if we're going to understand, as you said a moment ago, the character of God, mm-hmm. if you don't understand some of these things, then perhaps you get a misconception of the character of God. Right. And that's what the law, the commandments are, an expression of his character in one way, right? Is in that one way, sure. An ask, sure. A way we we have describe? a story that's probably the most important story in Exodus that expresses the character of God. Tell me about that it's story. It's the golden calf. All right. Let's go it, to that. It is the single, I'm going to, I hate to use these words, but I'm going to. It's the single most important, uh, maybe, characteristic that we should learn about God. So we let's jump over to chapter it's 32. Important. Chapter, chapter 32, 32, the okay. gold calf. Uh-huh. God, God is giving them these yes. instructions. They're Alrighty. building the tabernacle. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, money, uh, they take some of the offering that people of Israel gave to them when they exited that. Israel, Egypt, people of Egypt gave to them some of the offerings, the materials, the gold, and so on that was given to them as they left Egypt. Yes, if we they, talked about that. If they didn't have that, they wouldn't have these materials. Exactly. So now they're able to use some of those to build the tabernacle. We've been going talking about the incense. Well, we did the tabernacle. The now we're on the golden calf. And the, but now this let's is go. the single. So let's put this in order. Okay. So let's say here. First, before I got instructions how to build the ark where to keep God's mm-hmm. Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. which actually match up with the Ten Steps of Creation. Okay. Before I got that, before I had an ark to put it in, before I had a tabernacle, mm-hmm. a, a microcosm of the world. Now, I had all that. So now, uh, suddenly, I have got all that, and Moses is going up on the mountain, as you said, in chapter 32, to uh-huh. get the Ten Commandments. Right. Yeah. So God spoke them first. Mm-hmm. How many people heard uh, God speak the Ten Commandments back in chapter 20? Two and a half million. Well, go get them, Sophie. <laughs> All right. So here's the difference. Now, the Christians and the Jews share the same Bible, uh-huh. predominantly. Yes. So here is the difference between, may I say, the Jews, uh-huh. the Christians, uh-huh. and all the other religions. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. It's this. All other religions rely almost unless there's something I'm oh, unaware sure. of, exclusively on one person's revelation. The difference is that Mount Sinai, all these people heard it. So they all heard it. So I can't say one guy like whether it's Mohammed or whether it's uh, Buddha. I had this revelation sitting under a tree. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's great, but that's odd that mm-hmm. he'd only have one person. The point of this story, if... if we only had Abraham, if we only had Moses, if we only had these other guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, if we only had that, we'd have the same problem as every mm-hmm. other religion. Here is the difference that all people were told. And so they heard it. Now, there is a spot, and before somebody brings us up, where they say, Moses, we can't bear the word, God's word anymore. You talk to him. And uh, the Christian take on that is, is that, uh, is that they, were, uh, not, they just couldn't hear it. 
the Jewish take on that is, is that they felt their spirits, their souls, so drawn to go on the mountain, because God said twice, don't go on the mountain now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they said, we can't handle our spirits, our souls anymore. We want to go on the mountain, so you better finish talking to him for us. That's what the Jewish understand. Okay. Is. So now, after we get the speaking, now Moses is going up on the mountain to get the writings, the actual writings. Um, and uh, so, so he's going up on the mountain. And one of the common misunderstandings is, is what this golden calf represented. Actually, in chapter two, uh, 32, a careful reading clearly says what the calf represents. It does not represent God. It represents Moses. In fact, yeah, they, they're replacing Moses, right? That's right. They built it. or You were up on the mountain. We didn't know if you were going to come. And so they, yeah. they said, let us build. So they were... Replacing Moses as a person or his role as a spokesperson from God? Okay. Right? Yes. And it actually says in chapter 32, it says, Here's your God, O Israel. Because they said, uh, We do not let us. I'll, read, I'll just read it to you. Verse uh-huh. 1, it says, uh, Rise up, make for us gods that will go before us. For this man Moses that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. So they wanted something to lead them. Okay. Now, and then, of course, then Aaron says, okay, now we built your golden calf to lead you. Now, what we want now is we, we're going to have a, tomorrow's going to be a festival for the Lord. So he's still trying to say, okay, we're going to take your, your understanding of having a leader, a golden calf, to replace Moses. But we're going to So sell. the golden calf wasn't here from this perspective to replace God. No. To replace Moses right. in the role of hearing from God, maybe. Or yeah, a leader, okay. that's right. All right. It says, we do not know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So, and he says, uh, and he says, okay, now look, tomorrow uh, will be, uh, I'm going to tell you, in the, in the Hebrew, it actually it literally uses God's name. And that's verse uh, 5. Aaron saw and built the altar before them. Aaron mm-hmm. called out and said, a festival for, and that's using God's name, yud heh vav for tomorrow. So he's saying, okay, we're going to build this golden calf. Do you want something to replace Moses? That's okay. I'll do that. But tomorrow, since you've got your leader that you want, we're still going to have a festival for God. Okay, but look at verse. Um, I mean, I, no, I, I'm please. with you along the way. I'm not no, arguing no, about it. No, I want you. I love having it, the discussion. It turns, it turns into an instrument, not only representation of Moses, but... Uh-huh. It turns into a representation of God as well. Where? They, look at verse uh, 8, 9, 10. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them. They have melted down the gold and made a calf, and they bowed down to it and sacrificed oh. to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, these. who brought you out of the east. Let me show you what's happening. Okay. I'm going to say you're 50% right, and I would have to respectfully disagree by 50%. Okay. What they're saying is Moses is our leader. He's our God. I see. So they're making, they're going so far as to declaring a man a God. And, and they're saying, but oh. But we're talking about the gold calf as a representation of Moses, right? Yeah, exactly so, so. And wow. they're starting to say it's a God. Well, it's not really a God. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that, because sometimes the Bible will use the word God in the sense of a, a leader or something like that. So, so it's a little hard to understand sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then, um, now when... Uh, if, if you'll still stick in chapter 32, go down to verse uh, thir- 23. 
Okay. Uh, well, twenty. Well, first, there's an important little incident. Yeah, okay, what? What? He says, God says, I'm going to destroy them, this stubborn, rebellious ah. people. I will leave me alone, my, my anger to blaze, my judgment to blaze against them. I will destroy them, and I will make you Moses into a great nation. So there's a, there's a, the, I'm going to destroy this, and I'm going to start all over again ah. now, Moses, with you. With you. And there, the incident where I said Moses intercedes, ah. for, prays for the people, ah. is that he, Tried to pacify the Lord, and he, why are you so angry? And uh, and in other words, he, he says he prays for them for their to be forgiven. That God would forgive them and restore them, yeah. and, and of course, God does. Well, God, did God have to have Moses stand aside so he could destroy him? No, no, of he course didn't have not. To, no. So this was a test at that moment of Moses. Of Moses, he's God saying, "Okay, these guys are pretty corrupt down there. You know, they're thinking like a golden calf is you, and they're thinking you're a man, our God, because you're the one uh-huh. who brought them out." Okay. So I'm gonna tell you what you want. I'll tell you, what, I'll get rid of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll make you the big patriarch. You'll be the big Kahuna. Uh-huh. Now that's a test of Moses. Moses is absolutely not your God. So now, Moses, we know is for sure the right kind of guy. Okay. Oh, interesting. You want to take okay, uh, go from there? Call? Okay. Yeah, let's go to Robert. Uh, okay. I know he's calling. We don't want to uh, keep him waiting uh, too awfully long. Let me get up here. Robert is on the phone. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five is our phone number, and you can do just like Robert has done. Hi, Robert. How are you this evening? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Thank I'd you. love to hear from you. Appreciate your calling in for us, and hope you and your family had a great Thanksgiving and getting ready for a wonderful season of celebration here at Christmas time. Uh, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, something from the passage we're reading? Is you have a thought you could share with us about it? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, that there is no remission of sin. Right. Um, if a person doesn't understand the concept of blood as home to sin. And that's what's found basically in Exodus and Leviticus. Then they have no real depth or background to understand the atonement, what Jesus' blood does, his blood atonement does for us, as far as forgiveness of sins and access and eternal life. That's one question. And my second question is, uh, are we under the priesthood of, of Melchizedek as believers, or are we still under the current, uh, uh, under the old priesthood of Aaron? May, good question. It's a good question. Let me address Robert's second question first, if I may. Robert, you are absolutely not, unless you're Jewish, you are absolutely not under this covenant nor this requirement. You are absolutely in the covenant with Jesus. Now, if you're Jewish, you have a different set of circumstances you must comply with. If you are not then, Robert, 100% to your second question, you are not required to keep this. That is, you, you are free to if you want to, but you're not required. So, no, your second question is no. And now, that, that's from a Hebrew person. Now, that wouldn't be universally understood that way among all Jews, right? Well, anyone that wants to be right, it would. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. What I'm saying is, and I can prove this from the, if I may jump over to the New Testament, uh-huh. we know for sure that Paul thought that. How do we know? Because in the book of Acts, in chapter 21, and I believe it's 24, uh-huh. he actually is doing the Jewish stuff. Yeah. But he's not requiring other people to do it. So Paul himself understood that he's still required. Now, that was him. 
That's not the people he's preaching to. The other people are totally the grace that they found in Jesus was totally 100% replaced what was necessary for the Jews to still do. And Paul does that, his Mm -hmm. Jewish stuff, in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, it has nothing to do with uh, if Robert, Robert, can you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry, Robert. I, got, I guess you got turned off. I'm sorry. There he is. There he is. Robert, are you there? No, no, no. I can hear you. Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Um, well, no, Robert, if you're, uh, unless, you're unless you're Jewish, uh, you are not required to follow that. You're 100% in the covenant with Jesus. Now, for those Jews who want to be in the covenant with Jesus, I, I, they'll have to be their individual decision if they wish to continue following just the uh, the Jesus covenant, where they feel they do not have mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. this, or they feel some would might feel that they still have to do this, and uh, or want to continue uh, expressing that faith even in Jesus through these different through these means. Through well, you can. I, I don't want to muddy it too much. Sure, I, I, I want to say so. It would be the individual Jew's decision, I guess. But for the non-Jew, absolutely not required. Okay. Well, then I, I want to say, to, I want to too, say this because somebody's. I know somebody, and they're going to say to me, "Well, you didn't say the Jews are supposed to do this." Well, I'm going to say this: a person is free to do it if they elect to do it. But if a person is not mm-hmm. electing to do it, then they do not have to. Now, for a Jew, this is an eternal covenant, and I'll show. And we're going to. I'll go to another verse in a couple of minutes that absolutely says this is an eternal covenant for the Jews. The Jews really are supposed to keep doing it, even if they come up with something. I, I, I wanted to speak to your first point, Robert, a bit about uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sin. The, the soul that sins, it shall die. Uh, and, and I think that is played out here at the tabernacle f- from the very beginning. And, and we see it on as it goes in through the, to the temple and so on. We see this, the whole, we see this pictured in a lot of different ways in the, the people of Israel and the, the, the sacrifices and so on. The, the idea that sin has consequences and the wage, you know, the, you know, the New Testament version of the wages of sin is death. And that the same and payday is coming. The same expression, yeah, payday is coming, Billy Sunday said, the old evangelist. But in the Old Testament, the idea that the consequence of sin Selfishness and, and self-centeredness, rejection of God, uh, is is death, spiritual separation from God, and then the whole point of redemption is that God has made a, He's done a work of atonement, and we're going to see the day of atonement. Um, there's going to be the first. We've seen the first Passover. We see now the day of atonement is going to be announced too, and that's going to be a picture again of this. What you've mentioned is that. That, that sin has a consequences. We cannot be made right with God as human beings unless our sins are covered, unless our sins are atoned for through the redemptive work of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's where the the Redeemer, the Messiah, that was his role, is he's going to be that definitive, redemptive, atoning work of God um, for all humanity. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That 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 concept of the Redeemer and Savior. So I, I wanted to speak a little bit to that. And we see that prefigured and pictured uh, here in the in the synagogue. And, and, I mean, I'm sorry, in the in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. And so we see 
that redemptive plan, that principle put in place from the very beginning here. Uh, we've tried to speak. Did we say anything that's confusing or maybe it brought forth another idea in your thoughts and your ideas there, Robert? Oh, no. Uh, uh, no, everything, everything was uh, pretty much straightforward. Okay. Um, uh, I live now in an area where there are a lot of Orthodox Christians. Uh-huh. And without actually studying Torah, you know, and understanding what Jesus, the blood atonement for sin is not really understood in those faith. You know, Jesus, virgin born, came from a uh, Mary, but that they don't understand that, hey, the whole concept of blood atonement for sin came from Torah. That, it, that wasn't, yeah, it, it wasn't just invented, you know, in the time of Jesus or later even. It, it was a... This is a continuation of the plan that we see laid out here, even as early as the book of Exodus and Leviticus and so on. Thanks, Robert. There's our music. Thank We've you, got to, Thank We appreciate you. you calling in. Well, we've got to take another break, folks. Sorry about this evening. It's flying by. Uh, give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585. Give us a call, comment, ask a question that, that you would like. As we celebrate this wonderful season of the year, when we look at the Redeemer, the Savior, and we're reading through Exodus and Leviticus here as we prepare our hearts for Matthew and the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Don't go away. We'll be right back with more from The Bible Life. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. If anybody asks you who I am, I tell them I'm a child of God. Mm, the little cradle rocks tonight in glory, tonight we in glory. We are back, our final segment from the Bible Live broadcast. We're trying to fill it. We're going to try to get to the end of the book of Exodus at least this evening. And so stay with us. We're counting, we're talking about Exodus chapter 32. Yeah. We see uh, the, the golden calf. We see that the people uh, turn, trying to replace uh Moses and then trying to replace God uh, and Moses in intercedes well, for they the were, people. The error they were making, they were making Moses out to be a god. Uh-huh. They were made the golden calf out to be a god. And so, but look, look at if you want even more clarity in chapter thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's see. Maybe, uh, chapter thirty-two. If you look over at uh, 
22 and 23. Uh-huh. You want to read those? Or? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. I guess he's talking to, he's talking uh, to Moses. Moses. Yeah. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who right brought there. us out, he out said, of the land of Egypt. He said, we don't know what happened to this man Moses. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they brought it to me, and I simply threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. Right. Out okay. came this calf. Okay, so what we got here is there is a sin among the Jews for the golden calf. Mm -hmm. However, it's syncretism. It's not making the calf. Mm -hmm. The people that said make the calf was the mixed multitude that came with them Mm -hmm. because that was their understanding of religion and God. Mm -hmm. And in their world, Pharaoh is a god. So Moses must be a god. He's doing Do you a, think that perhaps that that attitude had leaked over into perhaps some of the people of Israel because they were there 400 years in Egypt? Could prob- that have been probably an probably. influence at least? But, well, and so they went along with it. But there's no doubt about it. The syncretism is mm-hmm. what happened. Is mm-hmm. so we know this. So what happened is when Moses comes down, he said, "Aaron, what in the world did you do?" He said, "Well, you know these people." He's not referring to the Jews, because <laughs> it says, here is your God, O Israel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, they're not talking to themselves. That'd be like Soapy saying, hey, what do you think, Soapy? And you answering, saying, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> that doesn't okay. even make sense. So it's the other people. And what they're saying is, these, we don't know what happened to Moses. Well, from their perspective, who made these plagues? Who kept warning Pharaoh? Who led them out? Why well, it was Moses. So they said, you know... We, he's he, maybe he's not a man. Maybe he's really a god. Because Pharaoh says he's a god, mm-hmm. so we'll make a golden calf to replace Moses. He's a god, mm-hmm. and so. But we know that Aaron initially didn't think that because in verse four or five or what it was, mm-hmm. he says tomorrow will be a, a festival for Yod Hey Vav. He actually uses the name of God, so he's saying, mm-hmm. okay, you got your calf, you know. But now we're going to have a festival for God. So he's trying to do some syncretism there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Syncretism being, you've used that expression several times. Let's make sure, uh, I'm not sure everyone listening knows okay. what syncretism okay. is. Uh-huh. Um, go. Well, <laughs> where you're taking something from one religion, making it palatable and acceptable to another. I see. And blending them together to come out with a compatibility issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's a little this, it's a little that, menza, menza, you know, mm-hmm. it's, we're all going to have... This religion, we're going to, much of what's going on in the world today, they okay. want, we'll take a little religion from this, a little religion from that. We're going to make one nice religion all works for just everybody. And that's not what God was saying. I can't, I'm, I hesitate to tell you what comes to my mind uh, when, when you think about that. Jump back, jump no, back. No, no, I, I, uh, I, I wonder what some of our Catholic friends think uh, about uh, Speaker Pelosi this week, her Claimed to be a woman of prayer, a godly, good Catholic woman who prays. I don't hate the president and so on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, as she, you know, first place, I don't see any real evidence of godliness or, you know, loving God, and especially with her support of abortion and killing of innocent children. And uh, is this kind of making use of religion in a, is that a little bit of Well, I'm going maybe? to go uh, a little different. I, I'm not sure I could analogize it to your example i'm thinking if she came along and said look let me tell you about god god really he's saying this and she draws upon let's say a different a different religion let's Uh say hinduism let's say buddhism let's say islam Uh so she combines that and says this is what god's saying so she's taking one thing from 
the Christian Jewish idea, uh-huh. Judeo-Christian, uh-huh. and putting it with this. So I would tend to identify something more like that. What she's doing is giving her interpretation, her own spin on what she considers to be her religion. Okay. I, I was just wondering if that would be an example of syncretism, that idea of oh, using prayer as a kind of a cover for her, I don't know, but... Maybe it would take one of our Catholic listeners to call in and tell us what they think of the, the idea of her claiming to be a good Catholic and all this, and I pray for the president, which I can't imagine what she prays. First thing, my question is, who does she pray to? I'd like to know, you know, what is it? who is the God she's praying to? And then secondly, what what is she praying for? What does she pray for the president? Uh, and, well, it I think like I, if I may, if good, I may offer, uh, getting us off track a little bit. Let's get off the track, but I'll say that I think what you're saying is the official doctrine of the Catholic Church is to be anti-abortion. Of course, yes, and I she, think that I understand that to be true. Okay, but that's the official doctrine. Uh-huh. She's saying I want to do this, so you're suggesting that her choice is different than the Catholic Church, so she can't be Catholic. And maybe the the syncretism is that she's taking the part she wants or something and well, claiming people, to pray people, for the A lot of people so, tend to go yeah. to, the, uh, to, to Luby's for church. <laughs> you take a little of this, you take a little of that. Oh, okay, all right. And that, would that be syncretism? Is that kind of the idea of it? Uh, I would tend to level? think it's closer to something like where I take a little... A little this, a little that, and then I start take blending. what I like, and, and, and I make what I, I make another want. religion. I see, I see, I see. Okay, go ahead. I'm I'm sorry to distract us with that, but it, All right, but well, I really want to get to something because I started off by saying that this is one of the most important lessons. I I don't I hate to use that term, but I'm going to say uh-huh. it. one of the most important lessons that we learn that the people of Israel and the people, the mixed multitude traveling with them, learn because they've been. In Egypt, they've learned how the gods of Egypt function. They're very, uh, they take great retribution. They're very vindictive. But there's something very odd that happens. In uh, chapter 32, we have the golden calf. Uh-huh. Well, Moses comes down. He okay. breaks the commandments on the golden calf. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, what does he do? He goes back up the mountain. And, and when the people repent... God reissues the Ten Commandments. But Moses this time, since he broke the tablets, he's required to chisel out the tablets, but again, the finger of God rewrites them. So what are the people at the base of Mount Sinai learning? That God forgives. That this God of the Jews is different than these gods of Egypt. This God, if you repent, this God forgives. So they've learned a lesson. A God of forgiveness, redemption. Uh, okay, I, I, that's a beautiful picture. Well, that's why this is so important. So if it had not been for the terrible sin of the golden calf, we would not have the lesson that, that God, when you're talking about learning the character of God, that's why these stories about strengthening Pharaoh's heart and all this stuff, that's why those are so important, because we're learning something about this God. He's not a mean guy. He's a sweetheart. And so what's going on is... As it says at the end of chapter 34, uh, starting at about verse 29, Moses came back down the mountain with a new set of tablets. God wrote on them, but he, since Moses broke the tablets, he had to cut them out, repair what he broke. Just like the tabernacle is beginning to repair the world. Look at what God says in chapter 34. Uh, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, Moses. He called out to his own name, Yahweh. 
the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children, the grandchildren, the entire family, children in the third and fourth generations. In other words, we see a picture here. It looks to me like we see a picture of, on one hand, God is righteous and just, uh, he's not compromising the great-grandfather in the sky that just looks over sin. He deals with sin. It's atoned. It has its consequence. If a person repents. And, with, and and he is, yeah, the repentance from the human side, God has made a right. sacrifice. He has made a provision for the sin of man right. so that we can be forgiven with repentance. But then, and then you get quoting, this picture Do you know of, what that's called, known in the Jewish world as? What, what, what you just quoted? What? Now I know that so the common reaction. Did I say something profound? It's 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 profound and confound. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the uh, what you just read is known as the thirteen attributes of God. Because huh. if you count them and you count them correctly, uh-huh. there are thirteen things we've just learned. And what he's going to do? He's going to give the commandments again. Because he says, I, I do this, I do this, I forgive iniquity, I forgive sin, I give, forgive error, I cleanse, I do all this. I do this stuff, and I'm, here's my commandments, because you guys repent, I give the commandments again. You get a fresh start, because if you truly, sincerely repent, I forgive. So the one of the most important things, it's called the, everybody talks about the sin of the golden calf. Uh-huh. The truth is... The lesson there is that we have learned something different about the gods of Egypt. And these people, as you say, have been in captivity and slaves for a long time. They don't know anything about this other god. For the first time, they've seen this god actually forgives us. He's not like those gods we've been taught about, taught about in Egypt. You see, that's see. why the sin of the golden calf is Powerful. one of the most important lessons that these people at the base of Mount Sinai will ever Very learn. Very interesting. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. Let me, let's run ahead. We, we got through chapter 32, and there's so much more detail there that if you read the Exodus— uh, it's very, very powerful. Now, the, even even the description of the building of the tabernacle and the details, it all tells us something about God and about his redemptive plan, what he is doing among us as humanity, uh, restoring, as Jacob says, helping to restore humanity, restore the people of God the, the, where the work of, of creation was destroyed through sin. Now God is restoring it uh, through redemption and through forgiveness, atonement. And now he's given his commands for God's people how to live, how we're to treat other people, how to live. And there's one people. thing I do want to point out, uh-huh. and I never fail or never get tired of pointing this out. These rules in the Old Testament and uh-huh. the Tanakh, mm-hmm. uh, that's the Jewish word for what uh, it's called the Old Testament. The Hebrew Scriptures, yeah. Okay, so here's the catch. It is not about doing stuff to get to heaven. This is meant to tell you how to live on earth with your fellow human beings, how you treat them, how they should treat you. These are rules among human beings. There's a few things that says you shall do this with God, you shall do this, and other things that address that. But generally all this stuff in the Old Testament is about how to live as a human being among other human beings. As God's people, as people of the covenant. Well, this is uh, how God's people are supposed to live, right? Yeah, actually, I would like to see all people live that way. I know, but 
these rules were designed and given to the to God's people yes. who covenanted right. with him and said, yes, we will follow you, we will be our God, we will obey your commands. That The idea is yes. that... Yes, as a matter of fact, did you know what they say? And it says in earlier in Exodus, it says, before they heard them, they said, we'll do them. They said, they, they said we'll do these even before they heard them. Their hearts were right. And, yeah. and it's essential, it's essential to the story that this Mount Sinai where God spoke these commandments where he later gave them in writing. By the way, the voice of God sounds sort of like a shofar, like, mm-hmm. you know? So um, what? it's essential that it took place outside the physical boundaries of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to teach us that this was not just meant for Jews or not just meant for Israel. If it was inside the boundaries, a person could say, well, that's the gods of the Jews in the mm-hmm. land of Israel. didn't mean that. It meant it was the God for everybody. For all who would know and follow God. for well, all, that's right. And that's why it's out important that it takes place outside of the boundaries. I see, yeah. I see, I see. Well, uh, we go on from there, from Mount Sinai then. They they build the temple. They take an offering. Uh, the people have those yeah. the cloth and the fine fabrics and the gold and silver that they requested from the people of Egypt were mm-hmm. given as mm-hmm. they exited. And now they offer up so many of those that wealth, those riches, those gifts they were given, they offer them very generously when the call goes out uh, for these uh, gifted craftsmen, uh, Bezalel, Oholiab, and the other skilled craftsmen uh, were called of God to build this tabernacle, this this little portable worship center that is going to go with them through the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, and on into the, into the promised land. They give these offerings in, to such a point that... Uh, they they give so generously. We have enough, they said, and in chapter 36. Don't bring any more gifts. Don't bring any more offerings. How many pastors or rabbis would like to be able to say that in their church? Don't bring any more offerings. We, we have all we need. <laughs> uh, that's a very rare uh, message, right? That's funny. So they come out from, uh, they build the tabernacle according to the instructions that God gave them, this this. Uh, uh, Rather simple construct, but profound in its significance and meaning, a picture of the redemptive plan of God. And they all had to give a how much, a half what? A half shekel. Half shekel. Not even a whole shekel, a half shekel. Which became the means of counting the people. Right, because it's forbidden in the Torah to count Jews as as people. And it really should apply to all human beings. Uh Because if you count people... What happens is you start de- devaluating them as only a number of something a number, you can yeah. use. Mm-hmm. What that actually means is this is why they each donate a half shekel. Then you count the half shekels. And if I fail to donate, that means I didn't want to be included among the count. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to see the, the reenactment of that story in the New Testament, it's when Jesus makes the point about the widow, and the, they call it the half penny. Mm-hmm. That's the shaf, shekel. She's, even though the temple's now controlled at that time by the Romans and mm-hmm. Herod, mm-hmm. who's an Edomite, and he's, even though it's corrupt, she's still donating her half shekel to be counted. So, to be counted and, among the people of right. God, yeah. So that's what she's doing. That's the reenactment of the story at Jesus' time. All right, well, there we have that in the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offerings. All of these are pictures of God at work among his people and, and the, God's redeeming humanity and restoring of uh, the plan of creation 
with with a new creation. You know, we're told if any man be in Christ, he's a new believer, a new creation, and this is a picture of that restoration of God's world. Uh, and then we see the clothing for the priest, and we can get into a lot of these details. I, I think it's these details sometimes that uh, modern believers, 21st century believers, us Gentiles, for example, when we come to the Bible, we read these and we go, what could that mean? What is this? And we and I heard someone the other day on the on TV, I heard them making that mistake, or perhaps on the radio about, well, the God of the Old Testament, and that was the God of the Old Testament, and you know that's over and done. You know, we have the New Testament's done away with all that, and I I don't I think that's a very simplistic understanding. God didn't change the God of the Old Testament. And now there's a whole brand new God in the New Testament. God hasn't changed at all. The God is still forgiving. He's still loving. He's still gracious. He always was and always will be. Uh, what we have to understand here is that God is working and communicating and, and revealing himself to people in their era, in their moment, in their time uh, uh, when they were here on the planet, when the well, human I like to, I like was to in put a certain it place way, of development. That not everybody could be at Mount Sinai that day. Mm-hmm. Some people were someplace else around the world. Mm-hmm. So there had to be some way to get that idea across. So let's say, let's, let's follow the thought. Let's say that a religion developed where Jesus came mm-hmm. for Christians. Mm-hmm. Then that spread around and brought with it the idea that God forgives, and that's how, if you repent, God mm-hmm. forgives, mm-hmm. and you can get a fresh start. Mm-hmm. So those people that could not be at Mount Sinai that day, either because they're another place in the world or because another time entirely, another time, they still get the message, mm-hmm. and that that's a fascinating thought. The principles are still there. The the the, the same message, the same principle, but they're. For that era, for that time, in that setting, and, and what we see, and I think it's good to say this, is we move through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, you know, on through the Scriptures. The same principles, the same God, and the same principles are there of how man is to be reconciled to God, but they are communicated in that era, for that time, for that understanding, and it, and as the human race expands and develops around the world, God reveals more of himself, more clearly, and, and, and speaks, adding, putting more detail to his revelation of himself until we come. And I 100% agree with that, except with one little footnote, mm-hmm. if I may. Mm-hmm. And that footnote would be, since it says to the Jews it's eternal, the Jews still understand as it expands, as in your example, they understand they're still supposed to do this. There's a po- I want to ask a question. We've got a couple of minutes. Maybe we I'll, have a couple of minutes. About this. Darn, I was hoping it was over. Let me ask. <laughs> no, let me ask about this because clearly, uh, even even the people of Israel, the times changed. The errors they went through. The, no, I don't mean errors like mistakes. I mean I the understand. times, the periods of time like they went in through. one era and out the other. Yeah, they were at times they were under the uh, era. Domi- they were under the domination of of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Other times they were under the. Right. They were being, right. and now even after AD seventy, the temple destroyed. Right. They can't offer. You only up got these three off- minutes. So can't good. offer up these offerings anymore. And now that you've got, right. so so, in other words, the times change. You, you can't. You really can't offer blood sacrifices can't in the temple you? anymore, right? Soapy, I've I've had lunch and dinner and breakfast with you. 
No, I'm talking about in the temple. I am talking with, it. You are the temple. With, your ta- your table is the altar. And you say a prayer, because every food, bite yeah, of food you right, take right, out right. for your table was once alive. It died so you could live. You're the temple. And the altar is your table. Okay. So that's you're saying, saying a prayer. That's exactly and then what, wait, wait, that's what I'm saying, Jacob, is that the time and the expression of the uh, principle has changed now. At one time, it was the temple. It was the tabernacle. Later, the temple of David and well, uh, of, of, of Solomon. Uh-huh. And, and they actually... Sacrifice the animals and the and they use the yeah. labor, but now we don't. But the, it's well, you, taken a new concept. You would never were saying, required right? to number one. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. I Is do. Now you I you kind of reinterpret. And when the temple's rebuilt, uh-huh. they'll probably reinitiate the animal offerings. Maybe I, I don't know about that. That's, well, they say they will. Okay, another show. Another, another show. show that will be. Well, maybe we can talk about that concept. But all I'm saying is that. What's what we're seeing as we move through Hebrew scriptures here? The principles remain same, like Robert said earlier. You know, the the soul of the sins well, shall die. Without I want, the only because of, of interest in time, I want to add one thing. You know, in the story we just looked at with the golden calf, was there an animal offering when God gave the the Ten Commandments again? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. He said, "Repent." Right. The animal offering is better than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Is a better word. Mm-hmm. What's going on is it's that's a symbolism. Right. The truth is, it's your act of sincere repentance. When they in the story we just looked at. They didn't say, "Now I want you to go kill a bunch of sheep," and you get and it's all forgotten. Exactly, I understand that. But of course, in the tabernacle, there uh, is built into it the idea that that's why the brazen altar was there. There's going to be sacrifices. Well, no, but that had nothing to do with our story. Our story is they repented. God gave the chance, second chance, and He said, "How okay. great I am." But I, I'm talking about the tabernacle, which is yeah, part of our tabernacle. Is a different issue. Part of the tabernacle was this brazen altar. And it had the concept of forgiveness, but also the idea that the soul that sins it shall die, that without shedding of blood, no rem- the seriousness, the consequence of sin and rebellion against God, and how that God made an atonement. If there's a repentant heart, a repentance, we can experience, we can be forgiven. That's in there. But and all I'm saying is that those principles remain in place throughout yeah. the Hebrew Scriptures and on into the New Testament. That, that God forgives, but, he yes. is, but he's We're a holy God as well. That's music. We'll come back and pick up uh, at the end of the Can I add Exodus one last sentence? And into the book of Leviticus this coming uh, week. Okay, and my last sentence is, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. All right, folks, see you next week on The Bible Live. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.